obviously an unexpected appearance from Rowan during your match, but how are you feeling after retaining your WWE championship over AJ Styles? I feel great. I was proved right yet again. Not only am I the superior wrestler to AJ Styles, but I was proven right about these fans being fickle. The entire WWE universe being fickle. That was some of the best wrestling that these people have ever seen. Yet do you know what they're doing? They're sitting on their hands. They're not even cheering for their hero, AJ Styles, because they are 100% what I have always said they were. Fickle. They're fickle. They cheer him one minute, they don't care the next. That's what they did to me. That's the exact same thing that they did to me. And do you know what? I could tell. I could feel the heart and the soul leaking out of AJ Styles. Because we were out in the ring, I felt the silence, invigorated by the silence, knowing that the silence proves me right, and knowing that the silence hurts AJ Styles' very soul. Because I'm not out there to impress the people. I'm not out there to make them cheer. I'm not out there to make them boo. I am out there to change the world using my platform to make this world a better place for my daughter, for everybody's children. And AJ Styles, he's just out there to get some of this. So how does it feel, AJ Styles, to fail yet again? This podcast is scheduled for one fall. With a 60-minute time limit coming to you out of the black corner at a combined weight of 666 pounds, recording to you from the recently vacated Firefly Funhouse. I'm your boy Xander Hobbs. This is I'm Bobby B and Yowie Wowie. This is podcasting perfection personified. And once again, we're bringing you another E edition of the Wrestleocalypse. It is upon us. And it is upon us indeed. We have a shit ton to unpack, but before we do, I just want to say RIP to Joey Jordison and, um, shoot, I just lost it on my mind. The bass player from ZZ Top. Uh, hold on a second. It's on my notes right here. You can always- Cue uh, the Jeopardy music. Um, Dust, <laughs> Dust, Dusty Hill. So yeah, we lost both of those guys along with a couple other people, the guitar player. Uh, from Cinderella and Mike Hauer from Metal Church. So it was a rough time for music. Just want to say RIP. And um, and then another shout out to our new listener out there, Kyle, who enjoyed immensely the edition last time of the Wrestleocalypse. 
So the more years, the better. If you know anybody that would enjoy a bunch of snarky dudes talking shit, let them know and send them the link. Indeed, indeed. So a couple different things, but really let's just get into this. So um, what has come and gone is that we marked our second anniversary over the last couple of weeks at the end of July. So two, um, two years. I, yeah. I feel like everyone should be thankful to get uh, 76 unique episodes of the hottest, most relevant uh, wrestling podcast, this side of Mars. 100% facts. And uh, yep. It's just thanks to all you guys listening out there and all you future ones that are going to listen to. And want to thank Bobby for always editing this up nicely and putting it together. We both have busy schedules, but we try to bring you guys the best shit that we can. So um, that being said, let's just get right into it. Yeah. And we're going to do something. We're going to start doing something different because we're not a recap show and I don't want to talk about some of the worse wrestling angles going on so we're gonna hit the big the big ticket items going on and we're but we're still hitting everything yeah. impact mlw when it comes back nxt aew main roster not including raw very often so um we got some big storylines going on and the number one thing over the last couple of weeks and we're gonna roll i think two of these kind of into one is there has been some mass amounts of talent getting released including the fiend as well as a number of NXT talent who were in some pretty big storylines. Yeah, I mean, it's um a lot of um a lot of the releases weren't too surprising, you know, because they're doing they're trimming the fat. But um Bray Wyatt was a pretty pretty big name that they got rid of, aka the fiend. Like, you know, he was a big merch seller for the people. Like he um it was it was just a shocker. Like I don't I still don't understand it, you know, but you know, it is a business and we are not in, we know some stuff, but we don't know close to even half of everything that goes on. So, you know, I just, I think they're just cooking the books and um, they're possibly, it looks like to me and to what Bobby mentioned previously that they're getting ready for a sale, but we're going to get into that in another topic. Yeah. I think we're going to touch on that a little bit on the mailbag, but definitely kind of weird though. A lot of rumors and innuendo about some, um, I don't know, uh, a memo that basically went out saying like, we're not, no more midgets, no one over 30, no indie talent, young, big dudes, which, okay. Like that seems right in Vince McMahon's lane. Right. So you can see that happening, but it seems so weird. You're going to say that. And they just released Bronson Reed. Who's like under 30 and a giant. And they just had in a title program. Exactly. And, um, yeah, they released him. I mean, Braun Strowman was a few months ago. Like, I know he's not quite under 30, but he's their big dude that could have been a big player for them. But they just gaffled his character so much to the point where, like, nobody took him seriously. And I feel like those that feud he had with Roman Reigns and when he was tipping cars over, he was red hot. And, you know, they just completely dropped the ball with him. And it's like... It just it's just weird how they deal with stuff. And it's that's why I'm just like, it's odd because they know how to book somewhat. And this is what makes it me seem more and more closer to that. There may be a sales on the horizon because this is usually selling 101 is like you get rid of big ticket items and then you, um, you know, get the profit values up. So 
I, I don't know what's going on, but it's very interesting to see, but it can, on the flip side, it's going to be a good thing because these talents have other places to go. So it's, Go ahead. Yeah, I would say one of the things I was thinking that might be interesting is like because there's a lot of the in the rumor mill about WWE being open to bringing Braun Strowman back, right? Right. But it's like a classic. It's like a classic NFL move. Like you don't sign the player option; they have to go to free agency. The market changes, and you're able to bring the same talent back for less money, right? No, like, for sure. Braun Strowman is not going to get 1.2 million dollars anymore. Like. And no. part of that, unfortunately, for Braun Strowman is probably because he was written so poorly. Um, but he's always been very boring. Yeah, and that's really that can't that's not really his fault because when he was doing all the truck tipping over and all that stuff, it was pretty interesting. But then once they put him in the tag team match with the kid, that was kind of the nail in his coffin. And then the squash against Brock Lesnar, and it was all she wrote pretty much. And then you know, train sounds and everything. Yeah, but I do wonder if some of these talents that they're releasing is just to get leverage to bring them back cheaper. That could be it too, because I guess yeah. this new guy, Nick Khan, is like just Vince is actually listening to him and he's just he's just doing a complete overhaul, you know, because that's what WWE was doing for a little bit. They were signing these guys to big money just so they didn't go anywhere and they weren't using them. So it makes business sense, you know what I mean? So why would you pay money to some people you're not going to use, you know? I know they're hundred percent. And we've talked about that a lot, right? Like get these fuckers out of catering. Right. And, but here's the thing. Why would you pay their salary? If in the end, like SmackDown is basically like a three story program. Right. 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 And so if you're like, why would you pay all that talent to just sit around? Like, I totally get it. I think one of the things that also needs to like, could be examined is like it's interesting the reaction from the television representatives and the shit that's leaked from fox and usa like they're not happy no to not have bray wyatt you know what i mean so being that wwe still relies on the revenue of their television contracts and that their contract with nbc for peacock um you know, I wonder, like, I I just feel like there's some an interesting pressure dynamic building, right? WWE wants to cut costs on talent, bring in younger talent, newer talent. Um, they don't want people coming in, you know, like, how many Bill Club shirts are there when you go see any program with Finn Balor? A right. million, you know, and they don't want that. And I think no. that's one of the things they're trying to purge um a lot of and that's why they don't want to pay the big money for indie talent because like they didn't get shit out of samoa joe not samoa joe's fault but like you pay for the indie talent but it doesn't necessarily fit your 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 whole corporate program you know well the thing is they they want to get these names in to get the eyeballs on it but then once they get these names in they totally change them around and you know take away what made them popular and why people want to watch them like the the crowd's not stupid they know who Samoa Joe is they know who the Bullet Club is and to like make like a uh, a neutered version of the Bullet Club saying it's the Bullet Club without saying it is dumb like it it'd be a smart this is a smart guy business wise and it's like i think a lot of this is ego 
because he doesn't want to give something credit that he didn't create. And it's like, it's not about that. Everybody knows the Bullet Club came from somewhere else, but it's just like, make a Bullet Club in the WWE and then like make it work. It could, it can totally do that. You know, it, it doesn't make the WWE any less. They're wrestling for you still. So, you know, I know there's copyright issues and stuff like that, but they could have easily um, kept these guys' as characters intact and still made it made money off of them, probably even more than they have. Yeah, it's it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And it almost seems like the last the last thing I would say is in some ways, I think this new guy is like, we don't want those fans. Yeah, right. Exactly. We want our WWE marks who are going to go to battle for us on Twitter. They're going to shit on every indie wrestler. They're only like because once WWE started signing AJ Styles, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, like you brought those people who were fans of them who probably didn't necessarily always watch WWE, but like, oh shit, I'm going to go watch Samoa Joe. I love Samoa Joe. And they tease you a little bit with NXT because it almost seems like they're going to get some rub and a push. But I mean, unless you're fucking Daniel Bryan, like, I mean, AJ Styles got got some run. Finn Balor had an initial run before Seth Rollins injured him, but yeah. Daniel Bryan was not even part of their plans. They, they were forced to, their hands were forced to push him. And it's like, it's just, I just don't understand that part of it. It's just like, cause usually back in the day, if somebody's over with the fans, that's who the, those are the guys you push. I understand like fans are fickle these days and like they'll cheer for different stuff like randomly, but people were hot for Daniel Bryan. People were hot for styles. People were hot for Finn Balor. And it's just like, it just seems like this weird, like power play that Vince tries to do and just tries to make, keep everybody in line and tell them that he's the boss still. And it's like, yeah, you are the boss, but it's just like, I just don't understand. Like, I hate to re- keep reusing this word that he's out of touch, but he really is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he's out of touch for us. I think though. Yeah. This, has, it's not a program has a strong yeah. program, but super interesting. We're going to continue to watch this because I feel like there's more releases on the way. Yeah. So and we're going to see, and eventually, I don't know, maybe they're going to sell out for $2 billion and Vince will stay on as CEO and cash his checks and whatever. But that's the first of our five biggest storylines. The next one is, oh, I see we double. I didn't even notice this. But yes, the labors of Jericho or Xander, as we call them. Um, you were on the fence about this. Last time we talked, that was well, before that was before the Nick Gage match. So what did you think of the Nick Gage match? And what did you think of the Juventus Guerrero match this last week? Um, the Nick Gage match, I believe uh, we talked about it last week. I said it was what it was like, you know, we're not fans of that stuff. And I'm not a fan of Nick Gage. And for whatever reason, like, you know, Dark Lord bless Jericho. I don't know why he would put himself in a match like that. And his age, they did what they did, like on uh on tv and i from what i'm gonna stick to what i said and it moved the storyline forward and that's all it was for so if nick gage is anything permanent i'm not going to be a big fan of that the match with hoop and guerrero it was nice for nostalgia purposes but 
just being used to seeing those two go at it regularly back in the day, it just didn't hit that same mark. And that's not necessarily their fault. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is, they're, they're older, they're a step behind, but it did what it was supposed to do because there's all, there's supposed to be a payoff at the end of all this. Yeah. What do you think about some of this? Like, um, I feel like AEW is really pulling some nostalgia strings. I mean, they did it with the Matt Hardy, Christian Cage. Um, they're doing it kind of with this. I just feel like they're they're really willing to kind of dip into the the history of wrestling, even though it is from a different promotion. Yeah, because the thing is, um, like you said before, nostalgia sells. And, you know, those are probably they're trying to reach out to those lapsed fans that have stopped watching WWE or stopped watching wrestling altogether because of those fans back in the day for sure watched Juventud Guerrero, for sure watched Chris Jericho. And if they're just reading the dirt sheets or flipping or whatever, whatever a lapsed fan does and they see that they're going to get eyes on the product and then they'll see that obviously that open dynamite and then that goes into the next match and they see guys who they've never seen before. They end up liking it, maybe. And then you have a new eyeball. They have a new set of eyeballs on there. So I understand the formula of what they're doing. Like, and I'm, it's, that's not, I usually don't like nostalgia, but like the, if it's done right and it's done for a purpose, then I'm okay with it. And from what it seems like right now, AEW is doing it the right way versus another company that relies on nostalgia and to sacrifice their current product. Well, yeah, I would say that, one thing I like about AEW is like Sting is Sting is like a B character. He's yeah. a sidekick. And that's know? what they should be. Matt Hardy and Christian are on the undercard where they yeah, should the mid be. Card. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they do not need to be in the main line story. You know, well, if they were doing it that way, then that's where I'd have the issue, but they're not. Right. I would say like, yeah, Christian Cage, he, the closest he got to the title was putting over jungle boy right you know what i mean and that's awesome and that's like i think that's the nuance and it seems weird to me like i was thinking about this the other day like we're gonna talk about him but like cody rhodes is so different than the young bucks and omega right right he's and it's so weird but i think it's it's creating the the right dynamic in the company where I think but that's a what of- a wrestling show needs to be, though. We've said this on uh, multiple times. Like, yes, we like that new hybrid style. And yes, we do think it's exciting. But also, too, you need to have a variety. You can't have um, a wrestling card, a two hour show of all Young Bucks style matches. That's not going to work. Just like it's not going to work to have a show of just all 300 pound kicking and punching guys. There needs to be a variety. And I think that's what Cody Rhodes brings in. And I think that was all done by design as well. So Cody keeps it old school and he keeps it for those fans like that. And that's what I like about Dynamite. It's got a pretty good variety of styles of wrestling. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And and storytelling. Like the the different stories are are different. You can tell which ones are more contemporary which ones are more like rooted in some old school. So I like that. Um, Agreed. So, yeah, all, all, all in all, Jericho has passed so far all of his trials. He's got Wardlow up well, we know next he's with, pass him. Yeah. with MJF as the ref. And yeah. then we'll, we'll see what I mean, happens. 
But with vaccinations uh, yeah, on the rise, I was going to say, I'm sure uh, Fozzie needs to get out on a cruise and play some shows. So, right, right. And it is weird that I felt like six months ago, Jericho was writing himself into uh, a commentator role. Mm hmm. And now he's doing all these matches and doing a fucking death match. So maybe this is a swan song. Yeah, maybe. Um, so let's. So that pretty much wraps it up um, for for that item for of that. business. Um, what do we got on next on the docket? Um, I'm trying to tell, but I can't see it. Oh, here we go. I can't see. Oh, it. now I get went way over my head. Well, um, yeah. So my what jokes are funny. So yeah. So Cena, we have America's favorite Boy Scout back, <laughs> and my just in time for Fast and the Furious. Whatever, nine, whatever the fuck it is. It and like you know, it's. I don't, I was never, I was never that big of a fan of John Cena. Like I liked his doctor of thugonomics gimmick, but then when he became the Marine boy scout drinking milk guy, like I wasn't too much of that. Yeah, I get it. He was for the kids, but now he's coming back with against Roman Reigns and Roman Reigns is really, you know, holding his own on the mic, calling him Mr. Missionary position. And yeah. You know, which is kind of funny. <laughs> and like, Not on the Hulu version. They edited that shit out. Yeah, of course they did. <laughs> and um, I just, I don't, I know they're doing this for SummerSlam to sell the big ticket to have John Cena because this is like going to be their replacement for WrestleMania because they're going to have a full crowd. So I understand the logic behind it. It's just like Roman Reigns has beaten John Cena before. So it's like, this is not, they can't be building this as a passing of the torch moment because the torch is already passed. You're, he's your tribal chief and he's probably going to be spinning it around in a dance. So yeah. like, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I agree. It's like, I agree with you. Not excited. Like don't like it is. It's for the nostalgia. It's just yeah. what we talked about earlier. And the only reason I'm not too up in arms about it is because it's going to be quick. Casino will lose to reigns and he'll be gone, but it's just like, he's being very heelish. Like he took, he came in and he signed the contract Dude, after exactly. Finn took a beat down and then Finn took another beat down and he um, didn't even help him. No. So it was like, I was like, dude, and Finn Balor has just been having like a great old run in NXT. And now it's just back to like, you know, getting his ass kicked and, you know, he's not the smiling Finn and, um, you know, quite just yet, but I just like, come on, you have this guy who was red hot in NXT and you've just cooled him off like tremendously. And it's just like, I know it's for the sake of John Cena and that's going to sell tickets. You know what I mean? But it's just like, I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in the Seth Rollins edge feud, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think right now, like, I like the work that Roman Reigns continues to do. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, he's been doing that for a while now. And they're, so they're feeding Cena to him and yeah. whatever. And Balor, um, maybe Balor and Corbin have some sort of feud, which is okay. I mean, I like I like Corbin's new despondent character. Yeah, I, like I, that, I, but, I was just going to say that. And I think that's awesome for Corbin. That shows like he really... He's like a professional wrestler, dude. Yeah. He's, like, he may be the dreaded good hand, but like he embraces every role they give him. He was the douchey king. Now he's the despondent poor. Like, 
Yeah, he went from Applebee's Corbin to King Corbin to now the, now he's disheveled Corbin. And it's like, you know, I, I'm not a fan of him or his I'm not him personally. Like, I don't know him, but I'm not a fan of his style of wrestling. But whatever the guy's given, he does well with. So I have to take I have to give credit to him for that. That's what we do. We call it down the middle. Yeah. And it's like and only him in a feud with Finn Balor can only elevate the two of them. Finn's going to make him look like a million bucks. He already has. Right. So, you know, like this is and props to Corbin, like he's like a look at looking a little bit better in my eyes because I'll, I'll watch a program with him versus when I used to just fast forward. Yeah, yeah. It'll suck, though, when he kicks out of the coup de gras, And then obviously the end of the day is no one kicks out of. So, no. Yeah, no one kicks out of that. That's a protect, one of the rare protected finishes. But it's a, it is a dope finish. Maybe maybe he gives it to Cena because he's mad about stealing the contract. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Cena kicks out of everything now. Oh, I know. <laughs> twisted. <laughs> but we will continue to watch and um, judge it down the middle as we always do. Um, but this one, I'm dipping in. I don't know if you caught this. I really like it. Um, so obviously the AW Impact Partnership, the Belt Collector, and we had a visitor off the plane from Japan, I imagine. Oh, yeah. The Switchblade, Jay oh, White. Jay White. And this, guy, this got me really excited. This is dope because Jay White is super young, has a veteran mind, and is just gets the business. Like, he just gets it. Like, I watched him from when he was a young boy, and I wasn't, like, all up in arms about him, but just to watch this guy evolve. And man, the guy's just real good. And like, he's only going to be better in a, in a program with Omega. Like it's just, and like some of the impact that I've been catching from here and there has been pretty entertaining too. So it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about this. It's like, these are two, two of the best right now. Yeah. And um, I like, I was super excited about it because it was just, it was maybe a couple months ago where like Jay White lost and he was like, I'm leaving, you know, New Japan. And right. I like it because I think it further strengthens that tie between AEW, Impact, New Japan, mm -hmm. which, again, there's also a lot of Twitter noise going on about the Bullet Club, you know, with Tamatama and where oh. that's going to go with the Good Brothers and yeah. just everything about it. Um, but I guess Kenny Omega and Jay White had a match in uh, – 2018 the new beginning they did yes and uh i went i didn't see all of it i just kind of like quick looked at it but i think it's like it's exciting to think that they're gonna have an impact match for the i feel like jay white could take the title off omega yeah he could like because i mean if he's gonna take i mean if because impact doesn't really have a champion like i don't trust like, it's not Kenny Omega because he's the AEW champion. He's just kind of holding it hostage. But, like, I mean, if anybody can take the belt off it, that makes it believable. It's Jay White. So. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's like a, I feel like that's a good move for all the promotions. Right. You know, like Kenny, Kenny Omega can't just have everybody's titles. No. I mean, he can have them, but, like, he can't have them for, like, he has to lose, like, one. Soon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I just feel like that's a cool storyline. I think it puts it obviously gives Jay White a lot of eyeballs. It helps put Impact over. Like Impact needs to get their title back. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I feel like Jay White could be a really good, you know, addition to the impact roster. So I really like that. And it does go back to like this whole thing with, I love the belt collector, but it's like, it's an untenable situation. Right. I agree. Like the storyline can only go so far. Like, yeah. Cause it's like, after he gets all the belts that he's written to get, then where do you go there? You can't exactly. just have him like beating every promotion down. Like, <laughs> No, no, not at all. Not at all. So, but I do like it. And I'm really like, really excited about Jay White. I can't say this enough. Um, it's yeah, that just, was, I think it, I think it's going to be good. Real good. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. All right. Numero Cinco. Um, we're going to dip more into the mass exodus or not exodus, mass talent getting released and an NXT overhaul, but which we'll dive into on the mailbag too. But um, it's just um, what I more want to talk about is like a sale, you know, on the horizon, go a little bit more in depth in it for a couple, for a few listeners out there that maybe they're like, what do you mean a sale? So anytime like a big company is getting rid, getting ready to sell, they're going to release some big, um, big names out of the book to, to like cook the books to make the profit increase, you know, cause that takes money off, takes, puts money back in their pocket. And regardless of the declining ratings, the WWE na- name has value still, you know what I mean? And which is what they've been trying to do since Cena was their last big character. They've been trying to, um, you know, have the, have the company be the draw instead of like one person, come on. And so, um, you know, with their declining ratings, they're still making a profit as we've seen in the numbers, even with the COVID stuff. And then with them getting rid of these names, it increases their net value. So that's what like, I've been, I mean, that's just how I, I see it right now. Yeah. I mean, they had like, here's the thing is they had a really good earnings call. And that's what's so, I think that's also what's so weird about all these releases and, and even trying to like this whole rebrand of NXT that's going on is like they had a really good earnings call to the point that uh, Money in the Bank in July 18th from Dickies Arena in Fort Worth was sold out for the highest grossing non-WrestleMania event in WWE history in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Right. Like, and then obviously... They also had previously sold out shows before that. That was Cena's return. Um, But I think one of the interesting things that he said, I'm trying to find the exact quote. I don't want to just like um, paraphrase it, but basically Vince McMahon, they asked him about all this talent and he straight up said, he goes, I don't see AEW as the same threat as WCW and we'll give him more talent. Right. Which is like, I think it goes back to like what you're saying is they're consolidating talent, getting rid of the fat and setting themselves up where they can. I think they're going to sell themselves as a media company to another media company. No, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's a total intellectual property and content sale. Um, and I think they see that they only have a few years I think to really strike when the iron's hot because they're super profitable right now. Yes. Um, but they did have to just transfer. They just like 
shuttered the WWE network and they've moved to Peacock. And I think all of this pertends to the fact that Vince McMahon is old as fuck and he's going to cash his ass out and set him and his family up forever. I'm sure he's still going to be the CEO. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to like, um, relinquish any of that. You know what I mean? He's just going to take a step back and that's how he's going to do it. That's just how I see it at, at this point right now, because it's just like, there's just all these moves that are like, you know, I've seen the, we've seen these before. Yeah. And, and, and it, it really goes in line with this kind of anti indie talent sentiment that's coming up because the networks don't want indie talent. Uh-uh. You know what I mean? Because they're expensive. That makes the contract more expensive. Right. They want homegrown talent that they can have on their Wednesday night out. You know, it's like, I feel like WWE really had that, the right formula with NXT as the, the, you know, proving ground. And then you can go to SmackDown and then raw was the flagship. And so you, you develop these characters and these wrestlers. And I mean, let's be honest, like Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, uh, John Moxley from you know, was Dean Ambrose, Bray Wyatt, Finn Balor. They're all in it, they all came from NXT, You're right? And right. Finn Balor did come from Japan, and obviously, Ambrose and Rollins had some run in some, some other promotions, but really, they're kind of homegrown talents, yeah, because they they rise, they rose, and their popularity grew mm-hmm. from NXT, like you know what I mean. So, I understand that, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, I get the point where like. And I don't want to top this all off because I want to get more into it in the mailbag. I get the point that they want to home grow their talent. And I get the point they want to get back to like, you know, the larger than life guys. And instead of having like your everyday dude wrestling, I understand that to a certain extent. But to like say that we're not having any more midgets, I, I believe that's just they're just blowing hot air. But it's just like I know where the focus is going to lie. But like they weren't really focusing on the indie talent in the beginning, any at least when they got to the main roster. You know what I mean? But I think this is going to have um, impact on what names we see come to NXT. You know, I think with this um, indie experiment is pretty much done, and uh, Vince is going to take it back to where it was. And I think a lot of that was not so much the indie talent's fault. It was just like. They should have just kept it on the network and kept doing what they were doing and not trying to compete. Like they should have never brought it to like the TV. You know what I mean? That's what I think that kind of hurt them, you know? Well, it hurt them because like, they, it hurt them because they lost. Ratings yeah. wise. They just lost. Yes. And, and it's lost. like, we've talked about, it's just not the same show. It's not the same production. It's no, not it's it not. Like it's, it's, di- it's very, different than the NXT we're used to. I mean, it's still good, but like you can tell something's missing because like, man, you can only run Johnny Gargano so many times, you know what I mean? You can only do this so much. And like you've said, and we've said before, it's hard to get invested into a lot of these guys because we know what happens to the majority of them. I'm not going to say all when they come to the main roster. So we saw that with Karrion Cross. I know that there's a bigger picture for that, but still like it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it is weird. And so, I mean, I'm I'm all open for the new the new NXT, but it just seems it pretends that they're they're setting some, themselves up for a cash out and what that yeah. looks like and how it goes and obviously I feel like, you know, obviously he's not blood, but Triple H, sorry about your luck, bro. 
Oh you're yeah, the, you're the first dominant. You're the first one to lose your power, right? Like, oh yeah, it always. That's all, that's how it always works. Like, so that's that. Yeah, man. All right, we're gonna wrap this up. We're gonna do. We've got four. This is like a new thing. Odds and ends. We're just gonna pick the four kind of most important, other than what we've talked about um, subjects in pro wrestling over the last two weeks. We're gonna do them fast though. So number one, my number one is Cody Rhodes. The, if you don't know, he is the, um, what do we call him? The um, super super baby face anti-hero Cody Rhodes further embrace that role, knowing that the shirts are in publication. I swear to God, if I see that shit on pro wrestling shirts.com, Cease and desist on his ass. Yeah, real quick, though, before we move into that, I just want to say thanks to J&M Designs for knocking those shirts out. They're really dope and they're really um, likable. So thanks for that. We will be uh, getting to you guys some more business for uh, more shirts that we are going to be putting out soon. So keep a lookout for them. I will be posting them on Instagram. Yes, thank you indeed. It is a nice shirt. It fits well. It's soft to the touch. But it's a strong message. J and D designs. I'm sorry, J and D, not J and M. But anyways, J and D. So yeah, Cody Rhodes. Um, he went. He went super. So obviously, he went. He was already embracing this against Gogo, but now he's going up against the hottest new talent in AEW from WWE. You may know him as Alistair Black. You may know him as Alina Vegas husband but i know him as malachi black who will kick you in your face yeah and what a debut match that was because we usually know the formula of what happens when someone new comes in and goes up against our favorite superhero anti-baby face and uh, malachi black a new entrance sick theme song because he's a fellow metalhead and it was a glorified squash match honestly and um, I mean, Cody Rhodes, talk about doing the honors. Like, I mean, that guy is the number one, like, well, next to Omega is like the number one heel now. So, I mean, that's just, it, it was, it was really good. I mean, the match was good. I mean, Malachi Black is just a great talent. And I was stoked for that intro, introduction with him. So, yeah. And then, but again, Cody Rhodes puts him over, eats the kick to the face. Gets pinned with just the one the foot. foot. Even Jr. could barely believe it. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that's that's not gonna get it done. Oh my God, it did. Yeah. But then Cody Rhodes, because he is a super baby face antihero, goes into this promo. Yeah. Takes off a boot, which you know if you leave your boots in the ring, what that means? It means you're done. But Malachi Black would not let that happen because he got him in the back with a crunch. And way to cut that off, like right at the right passageway, because like, you know, if I didn't see that, if I didn't read the, what happened beforehand, before I saw it, and if I would have saw Cody cutting that promo, I was like, oh, great, here we go. He just put the guy over. Now he's putting the spotlight back on him. But it was another swerve, and Malachi Black ends it with him going up, putting the crutch to his back, which yeah. um, writes him off because I know he's going to record a show, and he's got a new daughter, and it was just the right thing to do all around. It was the right thing to do, indeed. Um, Bobby, number two, because we're moving through these quickly. Um, this is AEW heavy, but it just it was good. The hangman cometh, dude. 
And we talked about it earlier with the Switchblade, but I feel like Hangman's the dude to take the belt off Omega. He's got to be. He's got to be. I know I've said it would be Pac in you know, previous um, episodes, but it looks like they're going a different route, and I'm not mad at this one bit. I know in the storyline it's written that Hangman's not going to be fighting for the title, but I see I see that as temporary because they'd be stupid to cool him off right now because Hangman is like red hot. And especially after the beatdown he took and him exactly. sort of breaking away from the Dark Order and them trying to saying not to save him. I thought that was another nice little um, piece of business right there. Um, yeah, I, this, is, this is the, the they're molding him properly because if we were you remember and um, when AEW was in its infancy and he was going up against Jericho to be the first AEW champion, we were all and I'll still stand by saying he's not ready. He wasn't as over. He was just kind of like, man, cowboy shit, whatever. He's mm-hmm. saying a cuss word. And like, this is just, it's a totally different hangman. And it's great. Like, I mean, he's got the crowd behind him. He's great in the ring, cuts a good promo, like checks all the boxes. And yes, the guy who takes it off should definitely be hangman, especially with all the history and storyline that they have going. If he's not, then they're, they've ruined him. Yeah. If he doesn't and do I, it, then he's ruined. He needs and to do I it on the first match they wrestle. Sorry, and man. I would say, like, the reason this works is because how they wrote that tag team breaking up. Yes. Like, so good. So there's all this history. And it, I thought it was interesting. Um, Malachi Black was doing an interview talking about how Paul Heyman was such in his corner. And Paul Heyman was trying to get this chemistry and the story between him and Buddy Murphy. Right that they could return to in three years or in two years at a SummerSlam at a pay-per-view. And it didn't work because WWE didn't know either of those great wrestling talents, but like I see AEW and that's where we're coming on to. Like we're going to have this really nice storyline arc that comes back to hangman versus Omega, the former tag team champions, you know, it's just great. It's just yeah. great. And then, you know, uh, I think he's just a really good talent. He's got a really good move set. He's a big dude, but he moves well. He can do different things. The buckshot lariat's sick, like how he throws it. Yeah, checks all the boxes. Like we, yeah, said. man, he checks all the boxes. And he had some good runs. Like he's cool. Check him out. Uh, you can check out Adam Page, Ring of Honor. He was, you know, which is one of the things I did love. Where the young bucks were like, you were just a jobber in Ring of Honor. Right. Like, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't a jobber, but some continuity. But yeah, it's just the young bucks being the young bucks. But um, anyways, on to my topics I'm gonna be covering. Um, I had to put these up quick, so um forgive me. Um, I'm gonna go deep in a little deep into the Roman Reigns bloodline champion tribal chief odds and ends, and um just how much they turned this character around that was like kind of dead in the water, like in the fans' eyes, you know what I mean? The Vince McMahon was very stubbornly trying to stay the course of a baby face reigns that was gonna supposedly take the spot of John Cena, and it just didn't work. And there was just so much pushback. And with Vince being Vince and being just super stubborn about it, we had the Roman Reigns that we wanted five years too late but it's better late than never because this is some of the best work 
that's been happening in the WWE. And I'd let alone say like, it's one of the top storylines in wrestling period. Like just because of, I mean, not said one of the, one of the, but um, it's just, they're playing to his strengths. You know, he's not a joke cracking guy. He's a big dude, silent, badass, ass kicker, and they're doing it. And what do you know? It's working. Yeah, it's definitely working. I think um, genius move pairing with Paul Heyman. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it wouldn't have worked as well. I don't think it would have worked at all without Paul Heyman. Yeah. So it's just like I – I think it's it's just been doing great. I I the only problem not problem the only deal I have with it is just like they need to start building people up that are viable that are believable to be a threat to taking the title from him because as of right now everyone that they're putting in front of him as a viewer that watches WWE will look at that and go oh that looks cool on paper but he's winning oh Edge and Reigns cool but. Um, Reigns is winning and so you can go down the list of names and that's where they're kind of losing it a little bit because they need to build up someone that is eventually going to take the title because someone does have to take the title off of him like he can't hold the title forever take the archives I, I, mean, told, you was, I told you it was going to be what it's Rollins Rollins is I know, the only he is the only person on Smackdown and especially after he vanquishes Edge Edge is not going over and that dude, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, fucking Shield promos, cleverly but edited. Done that before. I know they're different characters, but they've already done that. And what but, good? But Reigns needs to pass the belt to someone else. Rollins is already a made guy. That's just my issue with it. I know they're yeah, different I, characters. Okay, so then yes, I agree. Then so so yes, what you said is. Who has the cachet to take the title off Reigns? Right now, there's only one person. There's Rollins. I but know. In a, in a year from now, fuck, it could be Keith Lee. Yeah, I doubt it. But <laughs> as of this point, yeah. Right? But, but I mean, like, you know. right now, that's I feel like that's where the storyline is going. And nostalgia. If, if they have Rollins take the title off Reigns, it's, this whole thing is moot honestly it's, it's not moot, moot. Be- they're making money because they're, no they have to build somebody gonna else do it. they're gonna do it right after they announce the selling of the company to viacom i don't i'm gonna have to disagree with you on that i think it's moot if they do it that way it looks like that that at this point that's where they're going but i don't like it like I, no, rollins, rollins doesn't need it but i digress no no obviously not but i mean fuck how many titles does Shawn michael have did he need all, all I know, but like it'll, it, the way they've been booking Reigns, though, is it's like he's this big, unstoppable force. And it's like um, the guy that beats him it get, is going to get a huge rub. Rollins doesn't need the rub. Edge doesn't need it. Daniel Bryan doesn't need it. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, dude, Corbin. I would be cool with You're right. I would be cool Corbin. With Finn Balor winning it. I would be cool Corbin. with what? Corbin. Corbin. Jeez. <laughs> Corbin. <laughs> Oh man! Well, I mean, I wouldn't be like, surprised. Who do they I have? Put it past them. Who else do they have? Like, like it. It just illustrates what you said. It's like you cannot, you can't plan for six months in advance or in the future to feel who. I don't even know who's gonna feud with them. 
It can't be I Goldberg. They're running He's, out of people. Thank God Goldberg's cashing in his second match of the year in a He's not he's not beating Bobby Lashley. He better not. He better fucking not. No, he'll like, steer Bobby Lashley and break and break his collarbone. Hopefully, limp on. Like, if, if anything, they should. If anything, I don't know. Like, if Matt Riddle wasn't so quirky, like he could be a threat for Reigns if they tweaked his character a bit and brought him over from Raw. Because Matt Riddle, Matt Riddle's a legit shooter, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and like he's one. Of, they're building him up nicely on Raw, but it's just like I think if they did him right and they just tweaked him to have him be a badass in the ring and jacking off outside of the ring he could be a threat to reigns but i know that's super fantasy booking mm-hmm. so it's just like I, i'm just telling you that's a guy they could build damian priest is a guy they can build you know what i mean like but they're both on raw so that's that's a moot point or or triple h made a deal he said fine you can ruin nxt everything i built but adam cole takes the title off right I mean that'll never happen. But or what, what? What about Karrion Cross? Karrion Cross. Karrion Cross. Who? What is is one in one in the main I, roster? Yeah, I know. Not a threat. But like Karrion Cross is a legit guy. Like not, not at this moment. But like if they brought him to SmackDown, like everybody's got raw, on Raw that's viable for Reigns. <laughs> and it's like you know Karrion Cross is a guy that could I could see beating Reigns, and that would be a huge rub for Karrion Cross. He's a big guy, but he's in his thirties, so they might not be. He might not fit the bill. <laughs> like, well, no, NXT is for people under thirty. Obviously, okay. with Goldberg coming back, age age is age is a is a fungible thing. Right? No, I think it would be good. I think you're right, though. So. Rain smashes Balor, tries to stand tall. Karrion Cross comes out and says, Hey, TikTok, I beat him better. I beat him easier. You can't yeah. handle me. Yeah, I can see that, dude. That'd be great. And th- it could be a good deal because I hear they're making him like kind of tread water until Char- uh, Scarlet comes and then he's going to regain his mojo, you know, like any other strapping dude does when they get a hot blonde coming their way. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll bring him over to SmackDown and, you know, he'll be the guy. I hope so. That would be great. I love Karrion Cross. So, yeah, no, I think he's great. I mean, obviously he got put over by Finn Balor. So <laughs> it's all weird, but it, I yeah, like but it. I like it. The- is, that's a good, that's a good piece of business. They're doing it right. And the um, last just thing build some I would, people. The last thing I would say is like I could totally see a show, just like a kind of like um, what was it? Uh, Lucha Underground, which yeah. was like a fictitious show about wrestling. Yes, I could totally see just a show about the Roman Reigns character of Paul Heyman and more bad behind the scenes shit and like them like, and then it always ends up the end of the show is the the one match, right. like. I think that would kill, dude. I think you could probably have that like on a prime time Thursday night, half hour. People would like that. It's like that's actually great now that I think about it. That's great. Like just showing the behind the outside of the ring relationship between Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns and the bloodline. That would be awesome, actually. You yeah, know? and it always ends up with a match at the end, though. Not right. a long match, but like match. Yeah. the actual wrestling match that you could then you hook people. Yes. So, I mean, because I thought I thought about that. But anyways, the last one is, oh, this you is need a- to talk about this, my friend. Put on 
your lion skin that you scalped like scar we've got the labors of xander and god's favorite champion we're going to try and figure out a way to smash these two into one so as you all know like i'm in school and uh going for nursing and it's a fucking it's a labor and um i'm finally on a break and finally going to get some regularity for you guys for these two weeks and um it just it seems like i have a lot in common with uh God's favorite champion, Miro, the AWTNT champion, who has just been killing it, like just killing it on the mic, in the ring. I know he had fought a no-name guy this past week on um, on uh, Dynamite. Oh. Yeah, but it's just like, I don't know, like I didn't think too much of him when he came out in the beginning as, you know, the best man video game guy. <laughs> and then like, you know, Maybe he went back to square one and was like, okay, this shit's not working. And then they tweaked his character for a minute and it kind of came to what we have right now. I'm not sure how this ties into me, but I just thought it would be a nice segue into bringing in Miro. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm excited just to see his matches, even if they are squashes. I think he's like cut some great weight. He's like, just, he's kind of like found his footing at AEW. let's just say. Yeah, and definitely, uh, uh, you know, Rusev Day was super over. Right. But he wasn't as fun. No. Or as funny. And now it's like his promos are awesome. Like his whole feud with Lance Archer and like the way he just fucking put down Jake the Snake Roberts was hilarious. It's like the Miro's comedy in like WWE versus this is totally different like this he's talking to you like a killer and then he'll slip a joke in and like a little snide like remark which is like kind of like some some of the things that i do like you know i'll kind of bury you with a joke but it'll be funny and it's just kind of like a thing with miro and it's just like you can tell that he doesn't have any like really like handcuffs character wise on what he could say because this is like I followed the guy on Instagram and this is kind of how he talks in real life, just like kind of turned down or it's turned up on wrestling. And which is what they've said is a tried and true formula in making a character work. It's just, it's that person, but um, extremely turned up to 11. And yeah, I would I don't say know. it's, it's what we talked about with Brian Pillman after watching that inside the ring. It's like just up to 11. It's what it was. And I agree. I also follow him on Instagram and he does seem to live a very amazing life. Like, Oh yeah. Like good for Miro. Um, Well, he's God's favorite champion. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, obviously. Um, But that wraps up the first half. We are going long, but that's what we do. So we're going to just take a quick powder. We're going to get back at you after the sixth song. And then it's going to be mailbag. You know, we do, we like to get rid of one. We like to do what we watch. We do inside the ring. We do all sorts of cool shit because that's what we do. Cool shit. Oh, yeah.
once again, we're back with your favorite segment, my favorite segment, Bobby's favorite segment, and the Dark Lord's favorite segment. What do we like to call it? Cool shit. And cool shit always starts off with... The motherfucking mailbag. All right, enough talk. Let's get into it. Yes, Jake the Snake Pliskin asks, I noticed there was controversy with Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. And then, of course, no the Joker, Novak Djokovic's mini meltdown. I was just wondering if you guys caught any of the Olympics in general and what your thought was about this. I like this question because he asks, or she, uh, I guess it's he, right, Jake the Snake? Yeah. Um, a very specific question, like, Dad, did you ever, did you catch any Olympics in general? It's like, yes, I did. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the skateboarding. Um, I always like the swimming stuff. Uh, the prodigy just finished her first um, session of swim lessons. So it was cool to have her watch. Like, I was like, Hey, look at those are ice cream scoops. That's what you need to do. Cut the fucking dog paddle out. See, yeah. you put your head in the water, you blow some bubbles. Let's do this. Um, but I do also want to say, as far as the, I think they're manufactured controversies. And I think it was really interesting. Um, I'll mention this later, but Jermaine O'Neal has a documentary about the malice in the palace, which Xander and I were actually together the night that happened. Right. Um, And like one thing Jermaine O'Neal said is, and one of the things I've always asked is like, who the hell let Ron Artest just lay on the fricking scores table. But like he was saying, that was him trying to do his five count to calm down. And because he had that huge altercation with Ben Wallace beforehand, which Ben Wallace never gets any blame for any of this. You know, he lives in this like bubble. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because Simone Biles, Naomi Saka, obviously uh, have brought mental health to the forefront and they've been castigated for it because they're women and women of color. I, and that's just the fucking truth. A bunch of old ass white men are telling them that they, they're not patriotic enough or strong enough. It's like, get the fuck out of here. Right. You know? Uh, but overall, I thought the Olympics were super weird because there's nobody in the stands and it's in the midst of a pandemic and it's 2021 and everything said 2020. So it was just a very, it's a very weird experience. I don't know about you. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that fact of it being like a um, formed controversy because it's always a certain group of people that you've aforementioned that are always stirring shit up and getting mad about something or yelling at the clouds or on their porch. And it's like, you know, like you claim to be patriotic people, but you root for the women's soccer team to lose. And it's like, and then you call out these people who they've named moves after Simone Biles. Like they've, you know, I mean, like, so she had a little lapse, like I, it happens, you know, people, people do that shit all the time. And it's just like, I'm not in her head. So I can't claim that she's just bowing out because she's, she had a down day. Like that's not my hill to die on. And it's like, would you like, and the thing is, it's like, if it were anybody else, you know, it'd be a different story. Like, no, you notice no one said anything about Djokovic. They just called it passionate or whatever. And it's just like, let's just, I don't care how you call it. Just keep the same energy for like whoever does it. That's my issue with it. 
Like if you're going to call it like giving up, then call it giving up all around. If you're going to call it passionate, then call it that. Just stop making separate rules for separate people. And I know that's a lot to ask because that's never going to happen. But it's just like, and on to the second question. No, I did not catch the Olympics. Like I can't even catch, I can barely catch anything. <laughs> I did catch a little bit of the skateboarding and some of the, um, I don't know what if it's like paddling or something like that. I was, I, the only reason I saw it is because I was one of my clients that I was watching had it on. So I caught it, but I just don't have the time nor the desire to watch it. Like, you know, so that's, it's nothing against the Olympics. I just didn't have the time to catch it, but I caught some of that because that was a talking point. And um, I just like, I stand by the comments that I've made previously. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I appreciate the question, Jake, the snake. Um, we're going to move on to Riff Raz. What do you guys think of NXT changing the format to the bigger, younger guys and moving away from the indie vets? Um, you know, we t- we touched about it in the first half, and I understand it to what to a certain point. But the thing is to like blame it on quote midgets or over 30 guys, you know, whatever. It's like you can put a bunch of ripped out, you know, 300 pounds, six, six guys. But if you don't have proper booking or proper writing, you're going to be in the same spot. So it's just like, yes, maybe tweak the formula a bit, but to take one out for another and do the same old stuff behind the scenes, that's not necessarily going to work in the benefit either. You know, so maybe, yes, if you want to develop more um, farm people from home, by all means. Yeah, that's the whole that was the whole point of NXT. So do that, but maybe book them better, put them in um, better situations to succeed. Don't run the same matches all the time, you know, because as much as we love Johnny Gargano, like we don't need to see him all the time. Um, So that's just my take on it. This is like to blame it on one specific group of people is just kind of like, it's kind of a fucking blown point, but I mean, you know how, what, how Vince likes his dudes. So it is what it is. Yeah. He likes some thick with two C's, (laughs) but not Bronson Reed. Sorry about your luck, bro. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, I, you know, like, I think that NXT struggles for a few reasons i think uh before the pandemic part of it was you know the performance center crowd they were they liked a certain part of wrestling a certain type of wrestling and in a live show the crowd matters so much and they you know they really shit it shit on and dictated you know how how those shows were booked um and i think triple h really got that audience and he did well right and i think like you said part of the problem was they tried to expand the audience in nxt and it didn't work and so you're looking at it why didn't it work it's either the story sucked or the talent sucked or you know or the people writing the stories didn't have the talent to make those stories happen i mean which seems super weird i feel like finn balor's last run in nxt everyone loved and obviously they wanted his ass up in SmackDown. Yeah. So. And just to add something on top of that, it's just like, um, because people go, oh, just because the guy was over in NXT doesn't mean he's going to be over on the main roster. Very true. That is very 100%. true. Because not everybody, that's not, not everybody's going to be over because not the whole, pe- the people that watch um, the main roster don't necessarily watch NXT. But it's just like, 
to strip like someone like Bobby Roode, who could have been like had a cup of coffee in the main event, you know, because he knows he's an old school style wrestler. But to just limit him to an entrance like that's not necessarily his fault. Bobby Roode is a very technically sound wrestler. He can talk on the mic. He had more than enough business to be up there, but he they didn't. And they failed with a lot of people like guys like Sami Zayn. I don't see him holding a world title. I see him in the mix in the upper mid card, but that's about it. So I understand that aspect of it. But there's a place in the card for everyone. These guys that say that love these guys in NXT that want them all to be world champions. They're not right either. You know, like it's that's that's why you're a world champion, because you're at the top of the heap. It's not a participation trophy. No, I think I think you're 100 percent right. It's like there there's a lot of like nuance to this and it's like yeah the main roster failed a bunch in nxt talent but dude kevin owens Sami Zayn, like they're having good programs they're relevant right. they're on tv they're doing things are they every are they perpetual title contenders no but honestly not everyone can be that's just because exactly. you like a wrestler doesn't mean they're gonna get a program for wrestlemania you know right both Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens have had a ton of exposure and you can go down the line. Like, so I definitely think, you know, you brought up a good point and I think that, yeah, sure. NXT should do that. They should go back to doing homegrown talent because you know why it's going to be way cheaper. Like Karen cross comes with a price tag because people know him as killer cross right. and he's not new to the business. He doesn't need to go to your fucking training center to learn how to cut a promo or to take a bump. Like he's coming in as a fully formed character that you want to leverage. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it's like, I understand the performance center where they want them to work a certain style to get, you know, to, so to kind of like, iron the kinks out because it's like a lot of these indie guys are spot after spot and i understand they want to you want to make the moves make sense so i understand that but also with the in the long scheme of things like at least take some notes on like talent that's coming up and don't come in cold and like not know any idea of what or who this guy is or you know what i mean which they've done so much because we've seen it like someone comes up from nxt and they take away everything that was cool about them. And it's like, how the hell is the crowd or they don't run a vignette on them. How the hell is the crowd supposed to invest in them if they don't know who they are? You know? So yeah. this is like, there's a lot of blame to go around. You know what I mean? It's not just on the wrestlers. It's not just on the writers. It's just like, nobody's working together. And I think that's the problem too, of a lot of Yeah. This. I think that's exactly right. And I think there is blame to go around because I think the promotions are are super siloed and they're competitive right right like you're on nxc you're a triple h guy and we write this wrestling oh but i'm on smackdown but i'm writing the bloodline like i've got the best program well i'm on raw yeah and then you got assholes like vince russo who it's crazy to me like you can have a like he has a podcast and the the internet internet wrestling community fake journalists write articles about what he says, which is just a fucking opinion. He doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, and so, and it just gets this, this kind of narrative, but I think last thing on it overall, I think a lot of it is just, they're looking at at creating a financial and company structure that is sellable. Absolutely. Right. And they're going to say like, we're going to get young talent to the performance center. They're going to go to NXT 
They're going to get popular. We're going to send them to SmackDown. They're going to get more popular. And then they're going to main event WrestleMania and sell all these shirts and then be in a Fast and Furious franchise. There you go. And you're gonna own, and you're gonna own the rights to their whole character because we've established that. Why? And you don't have to pay health insurance for them because they're just independent contractors, even though they can't go work for anybody else or do anything else. But whatever. I got you. I know. And I digress. Let's do this. You can read this one because it's for me. All right. This one is from Coyote the Ugly, and they ask. This question is for Bobby. I just wanted to see what you thought about the recent acquisitions of Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Carmelo Anthony, and Russell Westbrook, among others, on the Lakers. Um, As I said, I've already taken time off for the parade. I don't feel there's any way we don't win the title at this point. I mean, who's going to beat us? Like, nobody. Clippers, no Kawhi. Right. Obviously. He's not for the season, right? Kawhi? Well... How fast? So, how fast does somebody who has a knee injury history come back from a knee surgery? Right. I feel he's taking the season off. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and also like, how many seasons does he have left? If he's already had these two, ca- he had that catastrophic hip injury, which obviously caused the knee injury because, yes. like, that's how injuries roll. Right. So, um. You know, the Suns, I just don't see them coming back like that. I feel like the Lakers, with a full offseason, people are going to come back healthy. Um, Russell Westbrook was always a bane of my existence. Luckily, there was always uh, a certain Kobe Bean Bryant, who, if he needed to, he could shut him down, get the playoff wins. Um, but I like his competitiveness, and I know that he can totally carry – he can carry 20 minutes of a game. Because LeBron's yeah. old, and they, AD and Le- AD is fragile, and a lot of them are though. Like Trevor Ariza is on the wrong side of thirty. Um, Carmelo Anthony is. He's just going to get you stats. I mean, I liked Wayne Ellington. Them getting Wayne Ellington, and I like the Ken Bazemore pickup. Like you know, I like both those of those are- as well. I like Trevor yeah. Ariza though. Um, you know, I feel like they've done a good job of getting people who can shoot good enough and play defense just good enough. Because in the end, like that's what, that's what the Lakers have kind of really hung their hats on. And like Caruso was a savage defender and we lost him. He obviously was able to go, go get more money somewhere else. God bless him. Lost Kuzma too. Yeah. Kuzma was decent at defense. And here's the thing, like, Ken Bazemore is going to outshoot Kuzma. That's what I mean. And I think the reason of them getting rid of Kuzma too, because he wasn't progressing, progressing fast enough. You know what I mean? And that's just my opinion on it. I know you know more than I do about that, but um, I don't really, I'm not really too hot about Carmelo Anthony. Russell Westbrook will be decent until he gets wacky and wild. But I think that's what LeBron is there for to kind of like calm him down. You know what I mean? Because I think that's what Westbrook needs. And um, AD, we know we're not going to get a full season out of him. So that's we know that. But here's what's cool. And this is like, this was really interesting. I really like that Dan, I said, like I said last time, uh, Dan Lebetard, he's no longer with ESPN. He's got his own like YouTube channel. And he, they've got uh, 
a former um, Suns executive who's often on the show and talks and, you know, he really shat on the Westbrook signing. And then yeah. the week later he was on there and he's like, you know what I was thinking about? He's like, the reason the Nets survived was because it's not that you need all three on the court at the same time. You need all three to be on the court one at a time over the course of 82 games or the season. Right. And so the Lakers, when LeBron and AD got injured, they just didn't have the, they didn't have the guns. You know what I mean? So now we're like, okay, so what? LeBron needs to take a day off. Anthony Davis is injured. So you look at uh triple double machine, former MVP, Russell Westbrook and be like, Hey bro, just go get your shit done. And he, and like, that's important, you know, and Carmelo Anthony, he became a pretty good spot up shooter in Portland. Like it wasn't the Carmelo Anthony of the Knicks, like 15 jab steps, pump fakes, fall away jump, like mid-range jumper. It's like catch and shoot, right? And that's what Lakers need. Yeah. And obviously, like, there is a sense, and I like it in a way, but it's like, I feel like Genie Bus and Polinka are comfortable with former players and former clients. So, like, when they're looking at the thing, like Genie Bus is like, oh, I always loved, I loved Ariza on the 09 team. If he was on 08, we would have beat the fuck out of the Celtics. And Polinka's like, oh, yeah, he was a great client. And so, like, they have that kind of like incestual or nepotistic aspect to it. But I think they filled out their roster well. I would like them to see, uh, I would like them to get uh, the number one most hated white player ever. And that's JJ Reddick. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Grayson. You wish you were JJ Reddick. Um, <laughs> Cause he's still available. And I feel like he's old enough to want to chase the title, but he's still like a fucking 40% three point shooter. Yeah. Like, and yeah. that's what they need. And he's going to get, t- he would get so many open looks like, but I feel, I feel they're stacked. I feel it's good. And I feel like the, the Western conference is not as strong as some people might think. Although I do, you know, Denver's good with the Joker and then Utah's good. They've got good young talent and the Suns, you know, the Suns are still there, but I like it. I like it. Right. Oh yeah. And wait, wait, the Dallas, they've got that dude, uh, Luca, who's, oh, yeah. da- who was Dallas also, is- was also a, one of the top players in the Olympics. Yeah. Dallas isn't going away. So people have to realize that. So yeah. I mean, all right. Let's get off of this before this turns into a basketball podcast. I know. All right. This next one is from El Greco. And they ask, I love your guys' metal selections for walkout and in between. I haven't heard a lot of Slayer from you guys. I was just wondering if you dug them. And what albums are your favorites? So I do dig them. I don't know. I'm not like a huge fan that dives into all their albums. But obviously, Raiden and Blood is the one I listen to. I will be including a song on the walkout and obviously Slayer is the only music that can break up a hippie drum circle. Absolutely. Thanks Carmen. Yes. Um, Slayer. I did. I listened to them a lot in my 
teenage years and um you know just because like the they're overtly satanic themes and as an angry young kid i thought that was the ultimate form of rebellion looking back on it it's extremely cheesy but um i still like to dip back into them here and there uh, my favorite slayer albums i mean i i like all of them but if i had to pick a favorite i mean i i'd have to go maybe south of heaven um i also like I also like Rain and Blood, like Bobby said. Seasons of the Abyss, very good. Um, Hell Awaits is a good one. Uh, shit, like Show No Mercy, their first one's very good. Decade of Aggression, a great live album. Like, just really cool. Like, like when I got into them, just real fast, real riffy. Like, and it's cool because they're like a punk-influenced band. Like, you know, so, you know, they you can hear a lot of that in their songwriting and stuff. So, um, they're definitely a staple in heavy metal. And, um, you know, I find myself going back to them on my Spotify list and stuff like that. So, yeah, Slayer's cool. And, you know, now that you bring that up, maybe you'll hear hear more of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, rest in peace, Jeff Heineman. He actually died of a brown yeah. recluse spider bite, which is crazy, but it happens. Um, yeah. But I did really like the Kerry King and Jeff Heineman like, guitar yeah. dynamic, right? Like, we've excuse me we've played a bunch of different bands and i remember like with a new wave of heavy american heavy metal music it's like when you're talking about like deny us and the shadows fall guys and all this but it was like dude what what carrie king and hyman were doing was kind of so far in front of their time and i feel like they were really pushing the limits like soloing out of key yeah just doing some different things that you didn't see and it's like for me i remember it's like oh there was always like oh it's like slayer and anthrax and slayer is so much better than anthrax like a million percent i mean yeah like anthrax i know they're put into that big four category but i don't consider them that i think anthrax is grossly overrated and um and that's not just saying because i got big time by scott ian but like, I, I think Testament's a better band than Anthrax. And like, oh. I think they should be in the big four. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the other three, Slayer, Metallica, and Megadeth, obviously they're in it. But like, yeah, Anthrax, I just never really got them as a kid. I wanted to like them because that's what I saw all over the place. And every time I listened, they just didn't, they just didn't deliver that kick to the nuts like the Slayer did or Testament or Metallica or Megadeth. You know what I mean? So it's it is what it is but yeah good question great band you know they definitely have left their mark and still have left their mark in heavy metal because every anyone that listens to or knows heavy metal knows of and like slayer yeah and if you don't know you can just not sleep till brooklyn oh nice i like what you did there because carrie king that's how influential they were they were so well known that the beastie boys had them do the guitar part for nestle to brooklyn so yeah. I, I really like, um, like I said, I got a song for, for y'all's on the walkout music. All right. Onward and upward to Kirk Gibson, double fist pump. And they ask, I am loving Frankie Kazarian as the elite hunter. What do you guys see as the end game of all of this? I don't know, but I obviously love it too. I love Frankie Kazarian. I think it's a nice way to, um, you know, kind of with SCU basically being defunct now. Um, we've seen Scorpio Sky 
get his run with Ethan Page and his feud. And I really like this. I really feel it like captures Frankie Kazarian's inner character. And I love it. I think that like probably the end of it all is like, um, I don't know, some big pay-per-view match against somebody. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's too early to call like what the end game of this because it's so new and you haven't even really heard too much of him. You just see him jumping out to like, you know, try to beat up the young bucks. And he usually ends up getting his ass kicked because they're doing that. They're jumping him and stuff like that. Bullet club style, which we'll talk about later. But um, as of it is right now, it has my attention. And like um, Bobby, I'm a Frankie Kazarian fan too. So I'm just, I'm just excited to see what they do more of it. And I'm not so focused on what's going to happen at the end. Yeah. And I think it goes on too. like, one thing I like that AEW does well is like, they've done a bunch of like cool, like, youtube promos where he's like in the desert like training and it's just like kind of similar to what they did with like darby allen and just like leveraging like other like building his character outside of the actual ring yeah Um, because that's what's smart too because like you have to um you have to show the stuff like outside of the ring that's just as important because you want to attract people to who don't necessarily know who he is to watch what he does in the ring. Because it's like, if you just show a match, not everybody knows who Frankie Kazarian is. So it's like, what's going to get eyeballs on there. You're going to want to see, Oh, this guy looks like a badass training in the desert. I want to see him like go in the ring. So they're in that aspect. They're doing it right. So. Yeah. I, I really like it. Especially because like, I, like you said, I like Frankie Kazarian. So I like it. Um, I feel like it's going to have to come to some sort of conclusion. I don't know what that's going to be. Maybe he interferes and helps Hangman go over from, but it's like his beef is the young bucks. Yeah, really. Exactly. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with um, really Omega. No, I think in the end, I think Christopher Daniels comes back. Right. No. Yeah. He's out of retirement and they like have some probably at a pay-per-view probably this year. Probably soon. I'm just saying. Not that I know. Not that I know. Exactly. And that was a great mailbag. And if you want another great mailbag, it's up to you guys. So you can get at me at Xander Hobbs on Instagram. That's X-A-N-D-E-R underscore H-O-B-B-E-S. Bobby, where can they find you? Uh, Russ Locklips, spelt like it sounds on the IG. And on to the next, we have the match of the week and we have a doozy yeah man i don't know i don't know how much i like this i know this one's gonna rub you the wrong way but like i had it on deck and i just for so for whatever reason like it just caught my attention i tried to find something else but i feel like we should cover this just because of the way the climate and the world has turned and how what you could get away from it's not so much about the match it's like more about like what you could get away with showing um, you know, just a few years ago, well, this is a long time ago now, but just how things have changed. And this is, um, we're going to go back to 2003 and no mercy. This is an, I quit match at the time, a little backstory, Stephanie McMahon was the GM of raw and Vince was running rough shot, you know, doing some shit. And she tried to stop him and, um, he didn't. So they went into a match of Stephanie against Mr. McMahon. If Stephanie loses, she resigns as the GM If Vince loses. He resigns as chairman. It was a no DQ match and 
this was even kind of this was kind of a rough one to watch. Especially yeah, man. They, uh, so yeah, definitely. As a father, it's um, like, I mean, the prodigy would easily just armbar me, break my arm, choke me out. Like, but obviously, Stephanie, it was the show. But uh, this is like, this is why it's tough. Like Vince wasn't always out of touch, and he understands like the game. He understands how to create like something worth watching. And right. this one definitely was. And Stephanie, to her credit, like worked underneath as a face as good as anybody. Yeah. And I was just going to say, too, that you brought that up. I enjoyed this baby face character of Stephanie McMahon because I really remember this um, era of SmackDown, which was very good. And like, yeah. You were rooting for her. Like, she was not the Stephanie that we know of today. And it was just like, it it was just a really gnarly match to watch, especially the end when you have Linda out there and Vince is choking her with a pipe, like his daughter. I don't care if it's like for TV, but it's just like, that is in the story. He is choking his daughter out with no mercy, no pun intended. Um, and he ends up winning the match. I mean, I, if you guys want to watch it, watch it. Like I'm not going to recommend or de-recommend it, but it's just to show you how a nothing even close to that would be able to hit the airwaves these days. I mean, think people have complained about less lately and we all know that. And it just shows how Vince was in touch at one point and was willing to do whatever. And this is one of the, a lot of reasons why I do give props to Vince because he knew what worked and he was willing to do pretty much whatever from making himself to look like a fool to, you know, getting his head shoved in Rikishi's ass to choking out or his own daughter or shaved by fucking Donald Trump. Right. And it just shows what he put his like, you know, how much the company meant to him. And what's funny, a little fun fact about this, I think like eight days later or something, Vince or um, Stephanie and Triple H got married. Mm-hmm. So like for real. And um, it was just, it was an interesting piece of like um, TV and history in the wrestling world. And I just thought I'd brought, bring it up just because of the climate we live in today. I know he keeps saying that, but it's so pertinent because it's like, we live in this era where everybody is just so on edge and so offended by everything. And granted that this situation is a very slippery slope, but it just shows how we're living in a different time. Yeah, I mean, 2003 was not when WWE was pushing the limit. No. So this match really kind of stands out as being like, whoa, okay. Like, but, um, you know, I think it just, it just worked well. Like, and it's props yeah, to it McMahon and Stephanie and, yeah, um, you know, really understanding how to manipulate the fan base. Like, cause you're going right, to get reactions, right. you know? And also like in the buildup, there was the whole Sable coming back. So yes, you introduced yeah. that, like that aspect of it. I mean, it's just really brilliant. And like most well, of he had the big show slapping her around and stuff too. And it's like, yeah, it was just, it was, it was a really gnarly storyline to say the least. Yeah. And like you said, it ended up with her mom, Throwing in the towel, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> but yeah, who, who went on to serve in the Trump administration, and they are kind of terrible people. But 
Yeah, but that's a different story for a different time. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. Now we're going to go on to another popular segment. It's um called Watch of the Week. It's when we are watching non-wrestling shows. And we're just going to start it off. Bobby, what have you been watching? Dude, you would love this the most. It's on Disney+. Plus. Um, we've pumped Disney Plus documentaries. They had the whole one on the Imagineers. This one is called Behind the Attraction. And the first season, they go through like what it took to build Space Mountain, how it was originally planned, and then it took a long time. They also do, um, and when they do Space Mountain, it's cool because it's not just like Anaheim Space Mountain. They talk about all the different Space Mountains at all the different parts. Oh. Um so it's a really good, again, as a as a Disney fan, someone who loves going to the park, it's cool to see like how all of this thing came to be. They have one on Star Tours. And they talk about how Star Tours kind of led to Smuggler's Run and um, Rise of the Resistance and how just like right. that relationship with Star Wars. It's really, really good. And it's very similar to... Um, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The, the documentary is like the movies that made us where kind of the narrator is cracking jokes and they're cutting it in with the actual principles. So it's very entertaining. And then, like I said, if you've been to Disneyland or you like certain rides, it's super cool to see like the whole background. The Haunted Mansion one is really, really good because they go through like how the original Imagineer envisioned and invented some of the things and how it's it's uh, evolved over the years so highly recommended for any disneyophile um again continue to watch barbecue brawl we're down to the finale i paused it because i had this to do um but it's looking nice i mean i'm a big fan of bobby flay i'm rooting for team bobby we'll see if they come up on top um after watching all of not all of the available episodes of the um ace of cakes versus the cake boss we went back and we started watching the original ace of cakes with duff back in charm city um and it's crazy what first off like what cake custom cakes were back like 10 years ago because a lot of it was just like big cake with a bunch of shit thrown on it but Duff was always introducing little things like lights and shit. Um, so I really like that. And again, as I said before, I do not understand why his theme song was not the Ace of Cakes, the Ace of Cakes. I don't get it either. And the last one I love and everyone should check out on Discovery Plus is the zoo, San Diego. And season two has been all about the different species breeding programs they have and how they're like basically continuing populations and everybody you know i know there's like there's a there's a not so fine line really but there's a line and there's a difference between like a research zoo and a wild animal park like san diego that is trying to obviously um help and propagate wild animal populations versus sea world Right. And so, like, I just want to make sure people understand that there's very different. And you, if you watch this season, you can see really the like dedication and love that these 
uh, zoologists have. And it's like, it's crazy. Like the cutest fucking thing ever other than the prodigy is they have an episode where you get to see like a newborn hippopotamus is ridiculous. Right on. So that's what I've been watching. Um, so check it out, especially behind the attraction. If you like Disneyland, because it's awesome. I'll have to check those out. As far as I go, um, I've been watching some blue planet too. Um, that's been really cool. Like as most of you know, I'm a big fan of not just animals, but the ocean in general. Um, especially of like what's happening to it as our climate continues to change, despite what other people may tell you. Um, also just the cinematography on it is just really cool. The, the way it's shot, um, just the footage they get, just really awesome. It's just a really, um, for lack of a better term, a majestic thing to look at. And these animals, it's just like a whole nother world. And it's crazy. We know about parts of like Mars and space, more than we know about what's in certain layers of the ocean. And it's just such an endless thing to like learn about. And it's just really cool. So I've been watching that. I too have been on the Disney plus kick, but I've been watching the Marvel uh, movies in chronological order. They have them in there. So I've just been having them on in the background. So I've, there's been a couple that I haven't seen that like I wanted to see just to watch how it like ties in. And, uh, you know, I caught, finally got around to catching. I know I'm super late on all this is like Black Panther, and which was really cool. Um, I dug that. Um, what was cool is um, Ant-Man was pretty entertaining. Um, and then other other stuff, you know, we've all seen. But um, been doing TYT, of course. That's always in the mix. And then I caught a little bit of this documentary called Shiny Flakes. It's about the teenage drug lord in Germany who started – Never used drugs, didn't know what they were, decided to buy them online and sell them until he got in trouble. I haven't quite finished it yet. It's a long one, but um, it's pretty cool. So if you're a fan of documentaries and stuff like that, you can check that out. Um, I will be having much more to that. I've been watching, getting caught up while I'm on this break next week. So make sure you tune into that. And also use those sweet Instagram accounts that we gave you to send us what you've been watching and your recommendations because we're always trying to find some good shit to know. So, cause we're giving you stuff, give us some back. Indeed. Well, it's my get rid of one. And I just populated this list. Why don't you tell me what you're getting rid of my friend? Oh, this is a tough one. As someone that's owned every single brand of guitar, I'm just going to go on what my personal preference was. And this might be an unpopular opinion, but I am getting rid of Gibson because of the fact that the fucking thing sounds great and a million bucks, but it is heavy as balls. And just from standing and playing, like I just would rather, I like the action of ESP. That one's not going anywhere. Jackson. I like that. It's light, but like, you know, I'd like the Ibanez too, but Gibson, I'm going to get rid of, I know it's an unpopular opinion, but it's getting the boot. Yeah, man. So the get rid of one was is for you guitar files out there. Oh, that's why um, I didn't read it. Brands of guitar: ESP, Ibanez, Gibson, and Jackson. Gibson, obviously, the most historical. Jackson has some cachet because the Dinky Reverse. I mean, the, like the Rhodes iconic guitar. 
yeah the flying v iconic guitar ivan as they were busting out those floyd rose um pickups and then they had the whole like it was a pain in the ass to tune though yeah the floyd, you gotta... rose, the floyd rose bridge was on all is on all of them with the exception of the gibson and the thing is with those like you can't tune them down and um what you want you break a string the whole thing's fucked yeah and um but yeah. the thing is when it stays when you have it in tune it stays in tune yeah so forever. there's that if you can deal with the, there's some people that prefer them i don't necessarily um you know i don't have a problem tuning my guitar and i do like the tune down so i didn't mean to cut you off but i just had to throw that in there no i agree like and that's the thing is like so with the Jackson and all those, the Floyd, the Floyd Rose Tremola, which the Gibson didn't have, but the Gibson, like you said, made a mahogany, especially, but the Gibson had the fine V. It also had the SG, which is a pretty rad guitar. But typically when we think of Gibsons, we're thinking of the Les Pauls. We're thinking about like Zach Wilde yeah. and kind of that thing. So I uh, do like the Gibson Explorer. That one's really cool. James Hetfield played that. And then he went to ESP and they made a version of it. And then um, Jackson has the Kelly, which is like the version of the Explorer. And it's funny because like ESP is the Eclipse, which is their version of the S or the Les Paul. And then they have, um, I forget what, I forget what um, ESP's version of the SG is though. But yeah, I mean, they're all good guitars, all great. I mean, I love Gibson. It's just like my preference if I, is ESP out of all four of them. Yes, yes, but uh, but we got rid of Gibson because yeah. this is get rid of one. I know, but I totally agree. Um, uh, one of my favorite bands, Strung Out, plays ESPs. Um, ESPs they have the flame maple top, which is always beautiful. They've got the similar double cutout, as you'd expect from like a Fender. I love ESPs 100%. They're not going anywhere. The um, I mean, like for me, it's Ivanettes. I just never loved Ibanez. I never felt like I felt like the quality wasn't there. Gibson, they've got not just the the the, the metal guitars, but they've got the dope jazz boxes. Yeah, they've got a lot of different shapes. So, but I agree with you too. It's like the Les Paul mahogany, big Les Paul is. It's you know, if you're trying to if you're trying to emulate, you know running around the stage jamming out it's a tough guitar to do with and jackson yeah. i can't fuck with because i feel like to me in my generation jackson is the metal guitar yeah like i always liked jackson over bc rich like i remember like when i was really into just playing heavy metal like you know i went to go buy a new guitar and i was going to buy a bc rich and i just was like ah, this is too wonky for me and i didn't like the sound or the action on it either so you know i ended up getting a jackson but um, that was a good get rid of one, though. Yeah, and to be fair, there are amazing Ibanez guitars. Oh yeah, I had an Ibanez Iceman, you know. Cause yeah, exactly. They're good, they're good mid-range guitars. I mean, you can buy some great Ibanezes, like high-priced ones. Like Steve Vai's got a good one, but um, just like if you're not looking to spend a lot of money and still have a good sounding guitar, Ibanez is your goal. You know what I mean? And I did like the um, Iceman because Jay from uh, White Zombie played on one. And so did uh, my man, Paul Stanley, too. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, 
they're, they're all good guitars. And, you know, I, I would love to own a Gibson to one of these days down the line when I pick it up again. But um, if I had to get rid of one, it's going to be Gibson. And I know yeah. I'm gonna for that, but I don't care. Exactly. All right. I'm, I'm all up. I've done some push-ups. I'm feeling good. It's time to walk out to the ring, my friend. Yeah. What are we walking out to? Well, I'm walking out to some Rage Against the Machine because I heard this on the way to the gym and uh, it kind of fired me up. And it's not one of their classic ones, but it's still an ass kicker. It's called Gorilla Radio. And it's just got it's got some hard hitting riffs like Rage normally does. And it's got a good vibe to it. So if you're going to try and get in the gym and you're kind of dragging ass, you just throw this one on and hopefully you're going right now so you can listen to it. Right, man. <laughs> Turn the radio off. All right. What are you coming out to? I am obviously, once this is the mailbag, I'm like, oh, I'm coming out to Slayer and it's a raining blood because yeah. obviously that's what I'm coming out to. So this makes me feel like uh, the demon. Like I would like, I mean, he, but it, when he comes out of the demon, his walkout's sick, but like that's yeah. how it makes me feel. And it's super heavy. And it's like, I'm going to fade this shit out at like 140. And there's only going to be 10 seconds of vocals because the first 130 is just fucking Kerry King and Jeff Heineman. And like this to me, this is Slayer in a fucking box. Yeah. Prime Slayer. Let's hear it.
Yep. That brings me back to my high school days. And what was awesome too, I went on, I went to see them on this tour where they played the whole Rain and Blood album. And um, when they play Raining Blood, they'd get doused with like, you know, a blood-like substance, which is really cool. And one show, Jeff Hanneman was so drunk that he missed the, he didn't go to the part where he was supposed to stand on. And he was the only one not doused in blood and he had like spots over him. So I thought that was pretty funny, but classic song, great pick. Yeah, thanks, man. I really like it. And um, one of the things we talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I love it is um, System of a Down, right when Toxicity came out, they were touring with Slayer. And Slayer fans are the ultimate metal fan trope where they basically hate every other band that plays yes. with Slayer other than Slayer. Slayer. And yeah. like Metallica fans will turn around and show you their back. Slayer fans will throw batteries at you. Yeah. So Slayer fans are kind of like Raider fans and, you know, like, you know, that <laughs> yeah, <one> just, <laughs> they'll just, they, 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 you could be the most badass heavy metal band on the planet. If you're on the bill with Slayer, you could go fuck yourself. According <laughs> yeah. to them. So <laughs> exactly. Which I really like that because um, it's funny. Like I've, I've been to some shows with some hardcore Slayer fans and they just like lose their mind, like a 16 year old girl at a Backstreet Boys concert, <laughs> but they're watching Slayer. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. But we're in the ring now. So yeah, we're bringing up a, focused. We're bringing up a topic that we've been teasing for a good minute now. And we're finally getting along to it. We are going to be talking about the infamous Bullet Club. Yes. Yes. And it this is, the to me, the biggest independent wrestling movement. Yeah. I mean, it kind of brought independent wrestling in New Japan, like, to, like, the states which what they've always been trying to do like it brought bigger eyes on the independent scene it brought more eyes on new japan because they've always been trying to expand into the west and you know what i mean the the wrestling style is different in japan so it doesn't um it doesn't correlate so much with the classic wrestling average wrestling viewer here in the states you know like in japan they promote professional wrestling almost like a shoot it's almost like it's real so yeah yeah and that's something i would say like to me like i feel like the bullet club um was really like when i was a kid i remember like when we got the first um pirated cartridges of dragon ball z that you could like burn the cartridge and get to get it yeah. to fit in your super nintendo and all of a sudden it's like you're introduced this like crazy jap this like cool like really cool japanese culture and I feel like Bullet Club really did that. One thing, first off, their fucking their shirts are dope. Yeah, like the whole fucking skull with the guns and the bullets is awesome design. Yeah, and so, what they did too was it's like they um, integrated the Japanese style of wrestling with the foreign style of Western uh, foreign over there, the Western style of wrestling with the um, with the. Um, well, shit, I'm drawing a blank with the stable and the interference and the more like character driven, not character driven, but like more of the flash of the Western wrestling, you know, and it worked because, you know, they made an all guy gin um, stable and they made it the, like one of the most popular stables in wrestling period. Like, yeah. And, and don't forget who formed it. Prince um, Devitt. 
Prince Devitt, now known as Finn Balor. Right. Which is why it was super sweet, uh, what, about a year and a half ago when the, what do they call them? The OG, with the, whatever the, the Gallows and Anderson and oh, the, um, the OC, the OC. And when they tried to invade um, NXT and they gave each other that. Right. That was sweet. That was but, dope. And like, um, stupid name aside, like I, that's one of my problems with it. It's like, dude, you have this shit sitting in the palm of your hands that could just work like fucking gold and print money. But anyways, um, just a little bit of backstory um, on Bullet Club. It all started, Prince Devitt was tagging with um, his, his um, tag team partner at the time, Taguchi, and uh, he turned on him. And he teamed with Bad Luck Fallet and um, Machine Gun Carl Anderson and Tamatanga. So they formed the Bullet Club all. And the Bullet Club name came with, because Finn Balor was calling himself, the, or Prince Devitt was calling himself the real shooter. For most of you that don't know, a shooter is someone in wrestling that can actually wrestle. And then Carl Anderson was machine gun and they made the bullet club and um, they ran rough shot for a good amount of time. And uh, Prince Devitt wanted to be the junior heavyweight and the regular heavyweight champion. And so the young bucks came in and they brought a little bit more like flair to them. And um, they brought the two sweet Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows made their tag team. And um, it went up until uh, Prince Devitt, fought a loser leaves town match against Taguchi and he lost and the young bucks turned on him and Prince Devitt was out because he went to WWE. And then we had AJ Styles debut in 2014 and he became the new leader. Um, even though it was Carl Anderson and he was a leader of the ring of honor bullet club. And this is how it expanded. They went to ring of honor as well as new Japan. So they had like chapters, which was really cool, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then obviously 2016 comes around then the belt collector. Right. Cause Kenny Omega came into the bullet club and he called himself a cleaner and he didn't want to do it at first because he didn't consider himself a guy Jin because he'd been in Japan and he speaks it fluently. So his genius was he turned and became the cleaner and he refused to speak Japanese and he cut all his promos in English, kind of a switching the roles, like as someone that's Japanese in the States cuts a promo in Japanese in front of an American audience. So I thought that was really genius. And so styles and gallows and Anderson had signed with the WWE. So styles is kicked out of the bullet club and Omega becomes a leader. And, you know, we go until Omega leaves and they all leave for AEW. And now the bullet club is kind of, it doesn't hold as much weight as it once did. I know Jay White's the leader now and it's like, of course, it's not quite what it used to be. Nothing can be what it used to be. But the fact that these guys got wrestling T-shirts, I mean, from New Japan to be sold in Hot Topic, and you would see them all over WWE shows. They brought the two sweet back. Like, it's just like they really, you know, did it. It was just a really cool thing that they did. And it really caught fire. And, like, it's something that's going to be talked about for a long time, you know. And we don't want to go in two depths because we could. I could give you a whole history of it, but I'm not going to do that to you guys right now. Yeah, and I want to say also, um, I think a lot of this is also where AEW kind of came from because when Cody Rhodes, after you know he had the bag on his head and was tag teaming with his brother, he went on his indie tour and he was a member of the Bull Club. He was, and actually, um, if you go back in the archives, as in like the beginning of this episode, when we do the one full. Yeah, that is, that is taken from Kyle O'Reilly versus um, Cody Rhodes 
I'm sorry. <clears throat> Super baby face antihero Kobe Rhodes, which you. he was back then because he was also coming out in his white Bullet Club boots. Right. And uh, so, remember, Hangman Adam Page was a member of the Bullet Club, too. Yeah. And so that's also one of the reasons that I'm really excited about the Jay White. Kenny Omega. Right. It's more continuity. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's just tying all these promotions together because it's really the only hope they have of competing and really right. like, but I, you know, it's just so good. And again, we went pre pandemic. If you remember, go back in the archives. Um, Betty Rebel got us the tickets. We went to the house show at the house that Kobe built and dude, more bullet club shirts than you could you know and that's just the thing like it's it is like the it is the coolest version of professional wrestling yeah it's like it's like what it's like you're gonna see those it's like how you see nwo shirts still you know what i mean it's like one of those factions and like kevin nash said he's like they were just a more athletic better wrestling group than uh, the nwo nwo had the name of course you know what i mean you can't beat that but it's like the bullet club took something and just like just made it like they made bad guys being cool again like you know what i mean the young bucks would come out total heels total interfering in matches totally being dicks and they'd be high-fiving the fans for about two minutes walking to the ring so it was just like and i think a lot of that, too, is the problem we have with heels these days, which I'm not going to get too much into because the different subject is like everybody wants to be the Bullet Club. Everyone wants to sell shirts. Everyone wants to do that. But guess what? You're not in the Bullet Club, dude. And it's mm. like, why do you why do you want to fall into that and get lost in that shuffle? You know, if you want to be a heel, be a heel. The Bullet Club did it and it worked for them and props to them for that. But, you know, it's just like that's why they're there, those guys, because they could get away with that. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think like when we we the we love the Bullet Club and it's cool how the elite has that taste, right? Because they're all Bullet Club members, they're all former Bullet Club members. Right. But it's like it's also it makes me really love MJF. Yeah. Like he's a true heel. Like he's a real heel. He's uh-huh. not trying to sell you shirts. He no. doesn't give a fuck if you brought your kid to the signing, you know? Exactly. And it's like, and it's like. I don't want to get caught up in nostalgia or whatever, but it's like, Hey, actually in this current environment, it makes him stand at stand out even more. Right. And that's the same thing with the NWO when everybody was joining it. And I'm diamond Dallas page was like, I don't want to join the NWO. Like that makes me stand out. And it's like, that's why it's like, you know, when you're that, when M- you have the MJF is in a company where a lot of the guys are high flyers and he can do that stuff, but he doesn't. And that makes him stand out that he, the guy's smart. And it's just like, yeah, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Like wrestling's all about standing out. Like you could just do one different thing and that'll make somebody remember you versus like a sea of like sweet moves, you know? So it's like, that's one of the things I wish they would tell these young guys more is it's like, do stuff that makes you stand out, see what works. Cause that's what people are going to remember. Cause we're giving so much like information to people and like people can barely process what they see but they'll process what's different. Yeah. I mean, and that's Darby Allen, you know, that's like you is the proof is in the pudding, but um, I don't see the bull club going anywhere being that right now there's a hot Twitter feud. Um, Obviously Tamatonga is still a member of new Japan wrestling. He obviously has claimed to being an original 
Bullet Club members. So wow. there are, um, as does Machine Gun. So yeah, they are slowly, there's a slow burn of this uh, multi-promotional Bullet Club feud that's going to yeah. go down. And we'll be seeing Tabatanga and uh, the Gorillas of Destiny pretty soon, I feel like. So that's more stuff to get excited for. Yes. And um, on that note, we can't top that. Nope. And um, thanks again for checking us out. Yours truly, Xander Hobbs. Ours truly in this life, Bobby B. We'll see you next time. We got the shot.